So if you have your Bibles, please open to Luke 18. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Greg is going to present to us a message on seeking and enjoying God through prayer. So think about prayer as I read this passage to you. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Now he, Jesus, was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I don't fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice Quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The reading of God's Word. When we're actively enjoying our relationship with God, a lot of our doubts cease, we trust Him more, and life's challenges become easier. So we're asking, how do we seek and enjoy God? And we're looking at various Christian practices uh, to help us do that. So today we're looking at the practice of prayer. And perhaps nothing is more important uh, than prayer for our relationship with God. Every spiritual practice, whether it's praise, confession, giving, anything that we're talking about in these series, requires prayer to do it right. Now, prayer is a very big topic. Uh, I can never say everything there is to say, and I'm not going to say everything today uh, in the depth that it deserves. Um, and I also won't pretend to understand how prayer works. But we have to pray whether or not we understand it or not. So, for example, how many of you know how to bake a cake? Okay. Um, you don't need to understand all the science to bake a cake. You don't, you know, you would never say, I don't understand the science of how the eggs work, so I'm just going to leave them out. Right? Or, for those of you who don't bake, how many of you know the molecular differences between kerosene and gasoline? I'm impressed. <laughs> right? So I don't. Uh, but, but, you know, some of us do know you don't put kerosene in your gas tank and you don't use gasoline to start a bonfire. Right? You wouldn't say, well, I don't understand the science of it, so I'll just, you know, do whatever I want. Well, prayer is sort of like that. The Bible tells us a lot about how to pray, and, uh, you know, it can be very confusing. Uh, I don't understand the science of prayer according to the Bible, but I know how the Bible tells us to pray. And, you know, that sort of means that prayer is hard. Uh, Christians believe in the value of prayer. If there's anything that we all agree on, it's the value of prayer. And it's also one of the things that we're really bad at. We don't pray nearly as much as we ought to, um, or even as much as we want to, and you know, almost every Christian is not satisfied with their prayer life. We'd like to pray more, we get frustrated, we don't know what to do, we get tired, 
And, you know, we don't always think that prayer really makes a difference. So we wonder, what am I really doing? So I'm going to talk about why prayer is hard and how we need to pray. Um, and so as we do that, we're going to look at four things. The tensions of prayer, praying to commune with God, praying spiritual warfare, and how we can do it. So tensions, communion, warfare, and how we do it. Okay? Uh, before we start, let's pray. God, I ask that you would open our hearts to see your face and to, re, uh, to receive from you your truth. And God, that you would set us on fire um, to pray as we ought. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so first, why is prayer hard? Uh, well, so one reason prayer is hard is because prayer requires we hold fast to some difficult tensions. So if you consider today's passage, we're supposed to approach God as a righteous judge, knowing that he will give us justice speedily, and we're to be persistent crying out day and night. Right? And I, you know, that's actually, it's confusing if you think about it, because, you know, I think we think, if God is a righteous judge who answers speedily, then why do we need to be persistent? Shouldn't God's righteousness mean that we don't have to plead like the widow, right? I mean, she needs to cry out in the parable because he's not righteous, right? So, but, so I think that's how a lot of us think. Well, God's righteous, so, you know, whatever, throw up a prayer and that's it. Um, but look at what Jesus says in the parable. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I might read that and say, what, is that? what does that mean? What that means is to cry day and night, knowing God will not delay giving justice. Jesus says that is faith. Crying day and night, knowing God will not delay. So faith is not. God is so good and he's so just that I don't have to pray. I don't have to cry out day and night. That might make sense logically, but Jesus says faith is because God is so good, because God is just, I will cry out day and night. So that's hard. Um, but that's not the only tension we hold on to when we pray. Christianity is full of difficult tensions or apparent contradictions. Um, so, for example, here's another. Is God sovereign over all of creation, with everything occurring according to his divine will? Or does prayer make things happen? Does prayer change history? It's both. Both things are true. Nothing happens that God has not preordained. God is sovereign. But the Bible says if we ask, we receive. And if we don't receive, it's because we don't ask. So that's weird. Um, another one. Is God's kingdom already here or is it not yet here? It's both. Again, Jesus has ushered in a new age. Jesus has defeated sin and evil and death, and death has no hold over Jesus or his people, and yet it's not yet. Sin and evil are everywhere. Injustice is prevalent. Our loved ones die earlier or in more pain than we'd hope. Um, or cause us pain. Um, so we can take hold of God's resurrection power now, already. Um, we can be transformed and renewed. We 
are new creations, right, already, um, but we struggle with sin, we fail, we fall, we're hurt, we're not yet what we're meant to be. So there are lots of tensions in Christianity, and prayer is one of the places where we confront them head on. So you might be thinking, those are interesting doctrinal questions, Greg. Um, and maybe somebody like you is interested in figuring out how they all fit together. But um, I'm not into theology. I'm not an academic. Um, so it doesn't matter for me. Um, do you remember what I said about baking and gasoline? And don't, don't combine those examples. Um, with prayer, you don't have a choice. These are not just ideas for academic theologians to consider. When you pray, you cannot pray without encountering these tensions head on. Praying well requires that we hold fast to the tension and press on. If you pray, you will have to deal with these issues practically, not theoretically. Right? You will inevitably work out and work through these tensions in the trenches of prayer. Because when there's a tension, when the Bible seems to teach two things at the same time, um, you have four options. Probably we're expecting two, right? So you have four options. Let me show you. So let's consider how would you pray in light of the already but not yet of God's kingdom. Okay? Well, so first, you can, you can push the gas pedal on the already side. Right? You can emphasize the already of the kingdom. You can pray for justice. You can pray for healing to come. And then you can be really disappointed uh, when you continue to see injustice, which you will. Or second, you could push on the not yet gas pedal. Right? Push over there and don't expect anything to change. New laws aren't going to change hearts anyways, right? And uh, Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. So, um, so if you pray for God's kingdom to come, you don't expect it to happen until Jesus returns. And you don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And you don't think God will do anything because that would be weird because it's not yet. It's not yet. So if that's the way you pray, you aren't actually praying, God, your kingdom come. And so you wouldn't be obeying what Jesus tells us to pray. So the third option is you can just take your feet off of both gas pedals altogether, right? You'd be like, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. You know, I also remember Jesus says, don't pray like the Pharisees and the pagans who, who think they'll be heard for all their loud, you know, for, for all their words. So like, I don't know, am I supposed to cry out day and night a lot? Am I supposed to not pray? You know, I'm just not, I'm just not going to do it. All right. That's, I think that's what most of us do. It's too hard. So let's just forget it. Um, but there's a fourth way, the biblical way, and that's to push down hard on both gas pedals and just hold on for the ride. And that's the only way you will experience authentic Christianity. Because just one pedal or the other, that's not Christianity. Real Christianity is God is trustworthy and righteous and just and will deliver us speedily. And we will cry out day and night until he does, because we know that God's timing and his plans are better than our own. Right? That's hard. So how do we pray fervently? How do we pray with all our might when, you know, the tensions are just too hard to hold together? We plead for God to bring justice. We cry out our eyes for God to turn our loved ones away from foolishness, to rescue them. We wail. We mourn for the oppressed, for the sick, for those who are abused or assaulted and degraded because God is a God of justice. 
because God is a God of mercy. And when we don't see justice, when we continue to see evil and death gripping God's good creation, we don't curse God and say, where are you? We don't accuse him saying, you don't care. But we declare, you will bring justice speedily. You are righteous and just. We continue to weep and to wail because against the apparent evidence, we know that God will bring justice. We know that he will fill us with resurrection power. We know that God will be exalted in this place and in our lives. Can you pray like that? It's, I mean, I, I find it hard. So it's no surprise that we don't believe the things that the Bible says about prayer. So look at some of the things that Jesus says. Okay, In Mark 11, he says, anything you ask in my name, you will receive it. Or in John 14, he says, you will do even greater things than I've done. It's the Bible. Luke 11, right? Uh, Doug said earlier, if even evil earthly heavenly fathers, If even evil earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father delight to give you his Holy Spirit? And, you know, I think we read these verses and honestly, they're too good to be true, right? They don't really mean what they seem to mean. You know, by greater things, Jesus clearly meant uh, not nearly as great. Um, And by ask anything and you will receive it, Jesus really means mm, probably you won't, Um, right? These verses are clear as day, but, you know, we're sophisticated. So, you know, you can't just read what they say. They don't don't mean what they say. Jesus didn't know what he's talking about there, Um, right? That's that's how we feel. Um, Or we look at examples of prayer in Scripture, and, I mean, we don't know what to do with them either. And this is just, I'm just looking at two here, okay? I had to cut a bunch to keep the timing down. So here's a good one. Daniel is reading through um, the scroll of Jeremiah. He's reading through Jeremiah's prophecy. Daniel's in exile, and he sees that Jeremiah prophesies the exile will be 70 years. So, uh, you know, he checks his Apple Watch. He checks the calendar. And lo and behold, it's about 70 years. So what does Daniel do? He prays. God, fulfill your promise. Now, you might think, you know, wait, does he believe God's promise? I mean, this is prophecy, right? Like, he doesn't just sit back and say, it's prophecy. I don't have to do anything. He sits back and he says, it's prophecy. I'm going to pray it into being. Right? Do we believe God's promises like that? I think we just sit back and just wait for it to happen. Or here's a great one. Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, you're going to die. Okay, so he walks in, tells Hezekiah, turns around. Hezekiah, understandably, cries out to God. And this is what scripture says. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, okay, so he's been walking for like a minute, the word of the Lord came to him. Okay, so... He tells Hezekiah, going to die, peace out, turns around, Hezekiah prays. A minute later, Isaiah, right, who wrote the Bible, he gets a new word which says, Hezekiah will live. So it's not like he got the word wrong the first time, right? So it says, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus said the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, behold, 
I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. Hezekiah prayed, and the Lord apparently changed his mind. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with these examples. But they clearly show people prayed and God did something. Right? Are we willing to believe what the Bible says about prayer? What Jesus says about prayer? Right? Do we dare cry out day and night to God because he's a righteous God? Well, let me encourage you. Go down the route believing that prayer does something, even if you don't understand how it works. Okay, so when you pray, something happens. You might not know where or how or when. Um, so let me give you two more examples. So here's a great example from Scripture. Daniel, again, is praying, and he prays for a while, and then the angel Gabriel appears to him. Right? He says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Okay, so we read that. Okay, that makes sense. He prayed. Maybe he was praying. God, send me Gabriel. Uh, right? There's more. So this is what's interesting. Gabriel then explains something that Daniel didn't know. He says that demonic forces opposed him for 21 days. And he says that Gabriel came because of Daniel's prayer. Okay, so in other words, Daniel's prayer empowered angelic forces to overcome demonic resistance over 21 days that he was praying. Now, Daniel did not know any of that while he was praying. Or here's another one. So I have a good friend. She's a medical doctor. She went to Harvard, solid Christian person. For those of you who care, she's even a Presbyterian. Okay. So, um, so for years, she's prayed in tongues, does not know what she's saying, what it means in private. She prays in tongues. Okay. So don't leave me if you are ready to leave me after that. Um, well, anyways, a year before I met her, she told me that the tongue had unexpectedly to her changed different sounds, more guttural, just different language. She, no explanation. She didn't know why. Didn't know what was going on. Anyways, I met her shortly after her husband had returned from a medical missions trip. And he had found out just a few months before that he would go. And my friend, she was really disappointed because she wanted to be part of the trip. She wanted to go with him. And she stayed home, uh, take care of the kids. Um, so anyways, he got back from Mongolia. And they're going through pictures. They're going through video. And they're watching a video. And suddenly she says, that's the language. They're watching a video, and she realized, she says, I've been praying in Mongolian for a year. The new tongue, it's Mongolian. It's a very distinctive language. Before she even knew he'd go on a medical missions trip anywhere, she started praying in Mongolian. And so I heard that story, and I was like, that's it. I have no idea how prayer works. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know. I mean, she, I, we don't know what she was praying or why or what on earth was going on. And, you know, but clearly something was happening. Prayer does something. So you pray like something is really happening because it is. You might not see what you might not know what on earth or somewhere else what is happening. But will you trust what your eyes see? Or what Jesus says is true. 
Okay, good answer, right? Okay, so, so second, so first hard, okay? Second, we have to pray to commune with God. So prayer is not just asking God for stuff. We pray for God's kingdom to come, and the defining characteristic of the kingdom is the king. You know, and that's why the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father before we pray your kingdom come. Right? We want to see his kingdom because we want to see God come. We want to see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit much more than we want God's stuff. So we pray to see God's face. So when you pray to commune with God, bring your frustrations, bring your doubts, bring all your difficulties to God, and wrestle with God in his presence. Right? And that's the key. Whatever you are going through in life, bring it before God in his presence. Maybe it's an unsaved spouse. Maybe it's a terminal illness. Maybe it's a long season of unemployment. Maybe it's unfair accusations. Bring them before God. He's tough. He can take it. Psalm 62 tells us both, wait patiently in silence for God, and, same solve, pour out our hearts to God. So, wait in silence, pour out your hearts. Another fun tension, right? Work that tension out in God's presence, right? So, God, I'm waiting. God, I'm crying. God, I don't know what to do here right now. And help me, God, and he will. Okay? Cry out. Like the psalmists, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? That's the Bible. God can handle it. He wants you to cry out to him. He wants to hear your thoughts. He wants you to trust him that he can handle everything that you're bearing. He's not going to be surprised. But going into God's presence like this, you know, God's not just like another human person that we can sit and have coffee and, you know... Um, God is utterly holy and righteous, and if you be, appear before him, you will be undone like Isaiah. But God wants you to come to him as his, dear, as, you, as his dearly beloved child. Okay? So being in relationship with God requires a little bit more work on our end. So how do we do it? So first, we adore and praise God for who he is. So adore him for the majesty as the God who created the world. And worship him as your good heavenly father who loves you. Right? Praising God to his face will help you see his face more clearly. Right? Declaring God's truth in God's presence will help you see the real God. Not just some God of your imagination. Okay? So praise God as he has revealed himself in prayer. So second... Right, so we praise him. Second, we confess our failures and our disobedience. Right? If we're going to really appreciate God's holiness, we will eventually recognize that we are not holy like he is. Right? But God, in his holiness and love, forgives us. Right? You confess your sins knowing that you are accepted and beloved in Christ. Right? You're forgiven in Christ, you're accepted in Christ, you are beloved and adored, and God sings over you in Christ. So confession in the presence of God is all about relationship building. Why? Look, have you ever been in a relationship where uh, you or the other person constantly hid stuff from each other? Right? Or, you know, how did that go? Right? It's not a healthy relationship. Um, or... 
Have you been in a relationship where, you know, one of you, you never apologize? It's not a healthy relationship. Now, in human relationships, we do that because human relationships are scary. Um, but we're talking about God here. God promises to forgive us because Jesus has already paid the price. God promises to send his Holy Spirit to empower us as a down payment of our salvation. So when you confess to God, you won't be rejected. When you confess to God, you receive more of his love, not less. There is perfect freedom in our relationship with God. Confession is saying to God, God, I'm not who I should be. I'm not living how you made me to be. I need more of your forgiveness. I need more of your power. And God responds by forgiving you and by giving you power. And the relationship grows. Third, we forgive others in prayer. Why? Because forgiveness is central to who God is and to what he wants for us. When we forgive others, we are getting in touch with the very heart of God. And furthermore, we need God's power to forgive well. Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Forgiveness is not easy. So if we forgive in God's presence, we will receive power from God to do it. And maybe forgiving in God's presence means, God, I know you commanded me to forgive this person. Honestly, I don't want to do it and I can't do it, but I, I want to want to do it. Uh, do you remember the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree and it withers? Okay. So the disciples are amazed, but right, they see this, they're amazed. Um, so in Mark 11, Jesus, he tells them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. All right. You might think, OK, right. That's our earlier point about prayer, doing stuff. Amazing. Right. But then in the next verse, Jesus tells us one more thing. He said one more thing to always do when we pray. And, uh, you know, in light of what he's just said about moving mountains with prayer, you might think this is kind of like the secret to unlocking spiritual power. Right. This is the the secret to. How do you get supernatural faith in your life? Mountain-moving faith, okay? The next thing is the secret. So what is it, right? You want to know. So this is what Jesus says. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So forgive others. That's the secret. Pray forgiveness of others so you will, you will receive forgiveness from your fathers. Father. So if you have a mountain that you want to throw into the sea, do you have a mountain of unforgiveness that you should move first? That will apparently release supernatural power and faith in your life. Why? Because you're getting in touch with the very heart of God and your relationship with him. Forgiveness opens up communion with God. So to summarize... Boldly approach the throne of grace, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, worship and adore the one whose eyes are like fire and whose mouth is the sword and the one who died for you, who cherishes you, who finds you beautiful because of Jesus. Okay, so we have to pray like prayer matters. We have to pray to commune with God and we have to pray spiritual warfare.
Now, the Bible has a lot to say about spiritual forces. Um, We don't fight flesh and blood. And Jesus has given us tremendous spiritual authority. Uh, You just, uh, you know, read anything in the New Testament. Read what Jesus, what Paul, what Peter, look what everybody says about spiritual forces. And it would be so fun to say so much more about this, but we have so much time. Um, So I'll be brief. Our prayers should directly target the enemies of God. And this is one of the key to praying the Psalms. Just one of these days, open the Psalms and just pray them as your own and you'll be shocked. And when the Old Testament tells us to hate God's enemies and God's wrath should fall on those who do evil, you know, on this side of the cross, we know we're commanded to pray for our enemies, to love them, to pray for God to forgive them. But we pray that God would utterly destroy the powers of darkness. We pray that God would utterly destroy the works of the devil, right? He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the Lord's prayer. Now, you might be wondering, okay, how, does, how is praying spiritual warfare going to help me seek and enjoy God? Okay? Well, I don't know. If, you know, one of the most common themes in movies is you take a ragtag group of people who have nothing in common. Maybe they're even enemies at the start of the movie. You give them a common mission, right? Like you drop them in the trenches and you say, build a bridge, defeat the enemy, right? By the end of the movie, they've accomplished the task, right? They fought together and now band of brothers, right? They went from enemies to friends and they would give their lives for each other. Why? Because when you're shoulder to shoulder with somebody, accomplishing a common task, fighting a common enemy, it binds you together. Right? There's a deep communion and joy that comes from standing next to each other in battle. So do you realize that Jesus has empowered you to fight the devil with him? Right? Jesus has enlisted you into his army. You get to storm Normandy along with Jesus. You get to pray against the darkness with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You get to defeat the enemy in your prayers and in your ruthless daily pursuit of holiness and obedience in your lives. And if you follow your commander, Jesus, who has gone before you into the deep, behind enemy lines, you will see prayers and your obedience blow up spiritual strongholds. You will see Jesus light up the barricades behind the enemy lines. It'll feel good. It's an understatement. So now, okay, I've given you a big task. Pray like fire, press down full throttle on all the gas pedals, hold on for the ride, and maybe cast out some demons if they're in your way. And, um, you know, I won't deceive you. This won't be easy, and you will be disappointed. You will pray for things, and your prayers will appear to be unanswered. So how will you press on and not lose hope? I spent several nights and days um, not too long ago praying for a very, very dear friend who uh, has struggled with eating disorders in the past. And um, she hears a voice that tells her that she's worthless. Nobody loves her. She's ugly. She'll only be valuable and loved if she's skinny. And, you know, she hasn't been anorexic for several years, and she's in counseling and therapy and all that, but she still has the voice. Now, I don't know if the voice is psychological or chemical or something else. But either way, God can heal her. He can make his truth greater in her life than the lies that she's being told. He can heal the physical parts of her brain that are off. Uh, He could 
he can drive out demons. So she visited a while back, and we prayed for hours over the week. Like, not like we prayed like, oh, God, healer. All right, we'll see. Like, probably like, I don't know. I'm making it up here. Eight hours over the course of the week. And we made, you know, a lot of good progress on some heart issues, a lot of good forgiveness issues. Um, but, you know, I knew she wasn't healed. And sure enough, she got home and she texted, I still have the voice. And I didn't need the text to know that. Um, you know, and just after she left, I spent 45 minutes wailing uncontrollably in prayer, in moans, just too deep for words. Um, just, God, why? Why not? And uh, my then four-year-old asked my wife, what is daddy doing? And, um, and my wife told him I was praying, and he was a little confused, but you know, I think it expanded his understanding of praying that day. Um, and I didn't get an answer from God. But at one point, I'm literally on the floor, like writhing and wailing, and this I knew. I had to somehow get myself to say that no matter what, God, I will trust you. Like, I had this moment that this is, a, this is an act of spiritual warfare to declare, God, you did something with those prayers, and God, I trust you, and right now, I will defeat Satan right now by declaring my unwavering trust for you. So how do we keep praying when we believe that prayer works because Jesus says so, but we don't see results? The easy thing is to give up. How do we keep praying? Well, here's how. You remember that the only reason that we can approach God is because at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus believed. All things are possible for you, God. And he prayed for another way. He couldn't bear the idea of going under God's wrath, of God turning his face away, of God forsaking him on the cross. And while his soul was in sorrow to the point of death, and he sweated blood, he said, your will be done. Your will be done. God, if there is any other way, if there's no other way, your will be done. Jesus prayed, your will be done, because what he wanted more than avoiding the cross was to rescue you from the power of sin and darkness and to forgive you and to make you his. And on the cross, Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that when you cry out, God will never forsake you. You can approach the throne of grace. You can plead with God day and night. You can cry out when you see injustice and when you give in to sin and when your friends struggle because Jesus prayed your will be done rather than insist on getting what he wanted. And because of Jesus' prayer and work for you, God defeated Satan. He destroyed the works of the devil. He forgave your sin and ushered in the resurrection kingdom. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would set us on fire seeking you. God, that we would pour out our hearts to you day and night and that we would wait patiently. God, help us to trust you. Help us to cry out to you. Help us to just, God, we need you, Lord. God, I pray that you would be with us now as we come to your table. God, stir in our hearts. God, may this be a time of communion with you. 
God, for those of us who are hurting, God, I pray that you would, um, in our time of seeking you, God, give us your healing power. God, for those of us who have been running from you, God, convict our hearts of our sin and give us power to repent and change our mind and turn to you. God, make yourself more real to us as we behold um, your body and your blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.